Join Global Genes at the 2002 Patient Advocacy Summit in San Diego, September 12th through the 14th. We'll be returning to an in-person event this year, and our theme is Rare Life Bonded Together. If you can't make the trip, the event will be available virtually as well. To register for the in-person or virtual summit, go to globalgenes.org and look under the events tab. Hope to see you there. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Oligonucleotide therapies can target the root cause of many diseases through the modulation of RNA expression and processing. Despite the promise of these medicines, their development has been limited by delivery challenges because they're not able to adequately reach heart and skeletal muscle, the critical affected tissues in neuromuscular diseases. PepGen is advancing next-generation oligonucleotide therapeutics that leverage its delivery platform technology to produce cell-penetrating peptide conjugates that improve the activity and tolerability of oligonucleotide therapies. We spoke to James MacArthur, president and CEO of PepGen, about the company's platform technology for conjugating peptides with oligonucleotides, how this allows it to target hard-to-reach tissue, and why it opens the potential for new therapies to treat neuromuscular and other diseases. James, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, Danny. We're going to talk about PepGen, its enhanced delivery oligonucleotide platform, and its pipeline of therapies and development. Let's start with oligonucleotides. This is a, a promising area of emerging therapies, particularly in the realm of rare genetic diseases. What makes oligonucleotides so compelling? So it's a modality that has been around for quite some period of time and really in the last uh, several years has shown promise across a variety of therapeutic areas. Uh, so in spinal, spinal uh, muscular atrophy, a variety of other rare genetic diseases, uh, different types of oligonucleotide therapies have shown the ability to fundamentally alter uh, the course of diseases of patients with rare genetic diseases. Um, and so uh, in the area of neuromuscular diseases, there are several approved drugs, particularly for the treatment of the shed muscular dystrophy that have also shown uh, promise, uh, but many people think could still be made much better. And that's why we're focused on this space. How do these therapies work? So different types of oligonucleotides have uh, different effects. Uh, the type that we're using, PMOs, um, are a stable artificial RNA that has the ability to uh, essentially interact with other RNAs and block either their interaction with proteins or block their interaction with specific sites. And in doing so, we can actually change their properties and change their uh, behaviors. But what would make uh, disease a particularly good candidate for this type of approach? 
Well, the starting point is a clear uh, understanding of the underlying genetic etiology or cause uh, of the disease. And then for our particular approach, understanding that introducing one of these stable uh, molecular species uh, that can go and block a particular interaction would alter that or change that outcome. And so that's what we're really focused on. The nice thing is we know if we're successful in delivering uh, our PMOs, our therapeutic oligonucleotides into the muscle cells that really matter, that we can really fundamentally change the course of the disease. Oligonucleotides have already demonstrated their utility, but there are challenges around the ability to target different tissues and cell types within the body. How much of a, a problem does this represent? How has it limited our ability to realize the full potentials of these therapies? Yeah, so people have begun to address this in, in a couple of different ways. One, introducing it directly into the tissue you're going after. So if you're going after SMA, you can introduce it directly into the spine where the cells that are impacted uh, live and essentially get the oligonucleotide to the cells that matter. In the case of ocular diseases, people have done the same, introduce them directly into the eyeball. Or you can target them following intravenous administration and targeting so far has been mostly focused on targeting to the liver, uh, where a variety of treatments have been approved for different rare genetic diseases. For neuromuscular diseases, this is an area where we're now just beginning to really expand the potential of our ability to go and deliver therapeutic oligonucleotides to the muscle cells where we need to get these oligos to go and impact things like the Shen muscular dystrophy or myotonic dystrophy. PepGen has what it calls its enhanced delivery oligonucleotide or EDO platform. What does this platform do and, and how does it work? So we're fortunate that, that we were working with uh, two academic collaborators uh, in the UK who had spent a decade uh, essentially identifying what they believed would be the optimal sequences to go and deliver oligonucleotides into muscle cells. And so we took a series of these molecules forward and identified one in particular that's the basis of our EDO technology that has the ability to deliver with extremely good efficiency in preclinical models, mice and non-human primates, therapeutic oligonucleotides to muscle cells and also get meaningful levels delivered to the CNS as well. And we're now essentially taking these molecules and translating them clinically with a phase one clinical study to see, indeed, can we reproduce the data that we have in non-human primates in humans? My understanding is part of the way your platform works is that you're linking the oligo to a, a peptide. How, how challenging is it to link those two? So um, the particular peptides that we're using are relatively short peptides, uh, fewer than 20 amino acids. Um, and so that doesn't present a significant constraint compared to say, you know, much larger protein species. And we can, in a directed fashion, using uh, both innovative, but also quite simple chemistry, directly attach the oligonucleotide to this peptide. So they remain attached together. So we deliver them as a single drug when we deliver them uh, by IV uh, intravascular administration, and they then allow the delivery of the oligonucleotide to the muscle cell. So is the peptide serving as a, a targeting mechanism? 
So our particular approach does not appear to be uh, focused on a specific receptor, but instead allows increased uptake into the muscle cells and other cells like cells in the CNS. So the process, which we're still trying to figure out the exact mechanism, appears to be both the association with the cell membrane and then allowing the very efficient transfer across the cell membrane of both the peptide as well as the oligonucleotide. And is it understood what happens to re release the oligo at the desired site? So we don't know at this point exactly the mechanism by which it's released. What we do know is that we get more oligo into cells with this approach than with other uh, technologies that have been described. And we also know that we're able to get the oligonucleotide into the nucleus, the center of the cell, where it needs to be to go and mediate the action, uh, whether it be in DMD or myotonic dystrophy. My sense is that oligonucleotides can have a rather short half-life. Is there any challenge in getting the oligo to remain intact until it's delivered? So it's relatively short in terms of the half-life floating around in the blood but it's actually quite long uh, in the cells themselves. So once we get it into the cell, uh, PMOs are a very stable molecular species and actually are believed to be able to stick around for several days. You've got two lead programs. You had referenced Duchenne muscular dystrophy earlier. Uh, you've also got a program in myotonic dystrophy type one. For listeners not familiar with Duchenne, what is it, how does it, manifest itself and progress? Sure. So uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a particular muscle disorder where a very large protein called dystrophin, it's actually the largest protein uh, in the body that essentially connects the intracellular architecture with the extracellular uh, uh, architecture through the membrane. And this protein both acts as a connection between the intracellular machinery and the cell membrane, but also acts as a shock absorber in muscle cells, allowing them to contract and expand and contract and expand without literally tearing the cell to pieces. In the absence of this protein, which is what happens in Duchenne muscular dystrophy, where due to either stop codons, you know, where essentially you make an incomplete protein or where you make a protein that has other deficits, either is missing big chunks or uh, in other fashions uh, is deficient, uh, that protein is not there to go and do this function. And essentially over time, the muscle cells uh, destroy themselves. Now, what we're trying to do is create a slightly shortened version of the native dystrophin protein, but one that still captures all of its normal functionality, uh, both from the standpoint of connecting the architecture and acting as a shock absorber within the cell. What therapeutic options exist today and what's the prognosis for patients with the condition? So the prognosis for patients has improved over the years. Uh, with the introduction of different steroids and steroid regimens, we can cut down on the inflammation and slow the progression of the disease. And now there are several approved drugs for specific types of uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy that have been approved. We're essentially using the same sort of approach. They produce a slightly shortened dystrophin protein. And although the levels of dystrophin protein that these approaches produce are quite low, they do seem to have some ability to ameliorate the disease. I think patients are though waiting for that next generation of therapies. 
therapies that take them to the next level in terms of much higher levels of dystrophin production that will allow better lives, fuller lives, uh, both from the standpoint of functionality as well as life expectancy. Your lead therapeutic candidate is for patients who are amenable to exon 51 skipping. Perhaps you can explain what exon 51 skipping means. Sure. So um, exons are uh, portions of the RNA that end up being translated ultimately into protein. So they're part of the normal mature RNA that end up getting turned into protein. They essentially are the architectural blueprints from which we make the proteins like dystrophin. Now, in the case of exon 51, it's as if you're missing a big chunk of that architectural blueprint and can't figure out how to finish the house, if you will. What we're doing is providing essentially an outline of what that area would look like, allowing us to finish the house. So we're missing a particular region, exon 51, but we still have most of the other uh, regions present in this uh, uh, slightly shortened protein. And in that fashion, we can go and complete the house. This may sound familiar to listeners because Sarepta won approval for an exon 51 skipping oligonucleotide for Duchenne. Why start there, as this would put you in direct competition with an existing therapy? It's a great question. So um, you're absolutely correct. There is an approved therapy for exon 51 skipping called Exonus 51. Um, and as I mentioned, it produces uh, quite low levels of dystrophin protein. What we're trying to do here is follow, if you will, the same regulatory path that has been laid out. And hopefully this will allow us to more rapidly translate from exciting research in the laboratory to a therapy that ultimately really has a profound impact on the outcome uh, of this disease in patients with, who are amenable to this particular approach. We believe that we can produce much higher levels of this slightly shortened dystrophin protein. And that has uh, the real potential to benefit patients. And so we're benefiting from all the tremendous work that's gone on before us to lay out a path to getting a drug approved. We know what we need to achieve and we're seeking to go and achieve that with our EDO51 molecule. What's the development path forward? And given what you just said, does that suggest there's some accelerated pathway to get there? Yeah, so um, we're right now in a phase one healthy uh, volunteer clinical study. So these are individuals who volunteer for the clinical study who do not have the Shen muscular dystrophy. Now, the reason we begin there is that we believe that this offers an accelerated path to translate from really exciting preclinical data in mouse and non-human primates to patients. It allows us to rapidly figure out what is the right dose you know, what is the dose that's safe and what is the dose that we get uh, meaningful levels of oligonucleotide into muscle that will produce meaningful levels of exon skipping ultimately in patients. So we can conduct this study uh, in less than a year, whereas a patient clinical study will take us a year and a half to two years to get the same sort of answers. So we think ultimately we can uh, accelerate uh, the development of this therapy by pursuing this particular path. Ultimately, we'll need to be able to demonstrate that indeed we are producing meaningful levels of this slightly shortened dystrophin protein in patients, and then would seek accelerated approval as four other drugs 
uh, targeting different exon skipping approaches have done before us. I mentioned you're also working on developing a, a treatment for myotonic dystrophy type one. How does that condition manifest itself and progress? Sure. Uh, before I go there, I do want to also highlight that we are also looking at other exon skippable patient populations. So exon 51 is the largest of these patient populations, but we also have programs in research and preclinical development uh, for exon 53 and 45 and 44. Our hope is to be able to translate our work in, with exon 51 into all of these other and then beyond. Uh, to be able to treat a larger and larger portion of the DMD patient community. Now, myotonic dystrophy is quite a different uh, disease. Uh, in this particular disease, uh, you produce an RNA that uh, has an elongation of a region uh, that normally exists, but in producing this elongated, what's called a triplet repeat, you produce a uh, molecular structure in the RNA that looks like a hairpin loop, essentially a great big looping out of the RNA. Now this big looping out of the RNA acts essentially as a sponge for many proteins that typically bind to these sorts of structures, including a protein called muscle blind one. Now this protein is a protein that has many effects inside the cell. And when it gets attached to the sponge, it ultimately can't do its normal function and a whole bunch of different RNAs are essentially inappropriately produced. Now, what we're trying to do here is stop muscle blind one binding to the sponge in a very safe and effective fashion. And in doing so, allowing muscle blind one to do its normal function. Now, in most studies, we can see that uh, the, at a molecular level, we can accomplish this using our EDO DM1 uh, drug. And we can also demonstrate in mice where they have uh, myotonia, this uh, uh, propensity to go and freeze when they are touched, where they cannot move their muscles anymore, that we can essentially prevent this with our EDO DM1 technology. And so we have been advancing this program forward, doing all the necessary studies before entering clinical studies, which we hope to begin in patients who have myotonic dystrophy type one uh, in the first half of next year. What treatment options exist today for DM1 and, and what's the prognosis for patients? Right now, uh, only palliative care uh, is, is uh, available to these individuals. And essentially they suffer from both uh, a freezing of the muscles, muscle weakness across a variety of different uh, tissues, including uh, the limbs as well as the heart, but they also suffer from uh, neurologic uh, uh, components, uh, everything from anxiety, uh, confusion, and a variety of other uh, neurologic manifestations because essentially muscle blind protein has this impact in so many different tissues in the body. And here's where we're really hoping the EDO technology can be very helpful because as I'd mentioned early on, we not only see improved delivery to muscle cells, we can also see improved delivery to the CNS, to the brain. And so we might be able to impact some of the neurologic manifestations of the disease in addition to the muscular manifestations of the disease. PepGen completed an IPO in May and, and what's been uh, an unwelcoming market for biotech issues to say the least, you did go below your expected range and needed to increase the size of your offering. 
Why the decision to go public now? We uh, raised this capital on the back of a, a significant funding round we did last year to go and fund the company through pivotal uh, data readouts in patients in 2024 and beyond. So in 2024, we anticipate that in uh, DMD patients amenable to an Exxon 51 skipping approach, that we will be able to demonstrate with the EDO 51 program, the production of meaningful levels of dystrophin protein in patients. And also in 2024, we anticipate in myotonic dystrophy type one patients, being able to demonstrate an impact on the molecular underpinnings of this disease and show the correction of those molecular underpinnings, be able to show the correction of splicing, showing that we indeed have liberated muscle blind one protein. We have raised now enough capital to both expand the team to go and accomplish these, as well as take the company uh, well beyond these points. So we are capitalized into uh, uh, the first half of 2025. There's still a, a fair bit of private capital available today. Why, why the decision to go public though? We decided there were uh, some advantages of doing this uh, for us, um, including uh, broadening our investor base, as well as being able to realize the potential of additional financings in the future in the public market case, uh, in, in the case that it actually makes sense, both from a standpoint of where the markets are, as well of, as uh, how the data is evolving. James MacArthur, President and CEO of PepGen. James, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, great chatting with you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.